Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by Bomi.org. They are the institutional high-quality place for training for facilities and property management. Do check them out. It's Bomi.org, B-O-M-I. And today we have a... Uh, I, I guess you call this show a little bit about education. The name of the show is PhDs on CRE. And we have the opportunity on this show, as you know, if you if watch and listen regularly, to speak to some intelligent people who study commercial real estate, who uh, really provide some great insight. Well, we've picked some of them that uh, particularly have PhDs to give us an opinion of what they see in commercial real estate and in the economy, what's interested them moving forward, because I think it's a very interesting time. So let's get into it. Please welcome my first guest, it's Hugh Kelly. And he is a PhD, he's director of the graduate program at Fordham University. He received his PhD, or I like to say he earned it, his PhD at the University of Ulster in Ireland. And he's joining us on Skype today. Hugh, good to see you again. It's good to see the, you too, Michael. Uh, I wish I could do it in studio, but technology is our friend. There you go. And uh, so let me just ask you that kind of the broad open statement as someone who's a, as a student, if you will, of commercial real estate yourself and, and, uh, and you look at it all the time, you know, what is interesting to you right now if the, if the three most intelligent people you know came up to you who didn't really know, who didn't study commercial real estate a lot, ask you, you know, Hugh, what, what do you find interesting about commercial real estate right now? You know, to such a person, I'd say, sit down. We have a long conversation ahead. <laughs> There's hardly anything that is not interesting about real estate these days. And that is from the point of view of the industry itself. It's from the point of view of the economy. And it's important uh, uh, from the point of view uh, of technology, which we're using today, which is more and more a part of our business. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Now, let's touch on a few of those things. First of all, you mentioned the cycle, and it seems like uh, we've had a great long cycle, but you look at the more recent news and the stock market's doing well, economy's doing well, interest rates are rising, but so where are we in the cycle? How long do we have? Can we expect these great times for, for much longer? So I'll go ahead on a, uh, on a limb, Michael, uh, and say that I believe that we are uh, in the late stages of a, uh, of a cycle. Uh, I think that uh, uh, the strength of the economy is, uh, is pretty broad-based, uh, but uh, momentum is starting to slacken, even though we had a, a really strong second quarter in, uh, in 2018. But I think that the growth in the second quarter borrowed some growth from the future. And so I'm thinking that uh, we're uh, going to be looking at investors and developers in particular uh, strategizing around what do you do uh, when uh, growth slows down. And when you say uh, growth slowed down, you mentioned, are you talking about like GDP or? or, or I'm, GDP, employment, consumer spending, trade, all of the above. Okay. And how about the, just the overall commercial real estate world where, you know, it seems like uh, a lot of the sectors are, are performing really well? We're hitting, we're hitting a potential economic slowdown at a good 
place in the real estate industry. Unlike uh, several of the uh, cycles in the recent past, real estate is not going to be the trigger of a downturn. It's going to be uh, uh, coming from outside the real estate industry, uh, but we're still going to have to cope with it. But it's not going to be the fault of the real estate industry as it was when the Resolution Trust Corporation had to come into play to deal with the overbuilding that came from the SNL crisis and certainly not the, uh, uh, the consequences of improvident lending uh, as we saw uh, a decade ago. So the coming to the near the end of a cycle doesn't concern you as much this time because of, of those of, of real estate. You don't think real estate's going to be that, that hurt is what I'm hearing from you. But what about interest rate increases? You know, we're, the Fed's talking about potentially two more increases even before the end of the year. How might that affect real estate moving forward and commercial real estate? Well, the first thing to, to note is, is that those interest uh, rate increases are past due. Um, you know, the Fed, for very good reasons, held interest rates down near the zero bound so that the economy could get back on its feet. The fact that we have had a very long uh, uh, period of growth in GDP and a long period of growth in, uh, in employment, dating back to 2010, so you know, uh, eight years or more at this point, means that the Fed did its job, but now it's got to prepare for the next event coming down the road, uh, which means that it has to have some uh, room above the zero bound to work with interest rates when and if those other indicators slow down. So the economy is so, doing so well, the, the rates increases kind of just kind of acknowledge that, right? I think that that's, that's right. And you remember uh, uh, a former uh, uh, Fed chairman uh, by the name of uh, uh, William McChesney uh, Martin, uh, who said, that the job of the Fed was to take away the punch bowl when the party got going. And that's what they're doing now. <laughs> right. Well, you, what do you think about the reduced tax rates for corporations, for individuals, you know, the deregulation that we've had? You know, what, what is the impact there on the economy and commercial real estate? So uh, there were a lot of concerns about the Tax Act uh, about this time last year. Nobody knew what the provisions were going to be. There were some concerns about, uh, on the residential side, uh, what was going to happen to the mortgage uh, uh, interest deduction for homeowners. On the commercial side, what was going to happen to the 1031 uh, exchange rules. And real estate came through the rewriting of, of the tax bill uh, with most of its privileges as the most favored industry in the country in the tax code uh, intact. And so real estate's done well uh, on that side uh, uh, to the degree that corporate profits are critical to uh, uh, economic health. Uh, the, uh, the provisions about repatriating profits uh, and uh, the lower tax rate on corporations have helped extend the bull market on Wall Street uh, to what is now the longest bull market in history. So all of that is, is to the good. Um, uh, the, uh, the shadow side of that is that the tax benefits uh, on the household end were very much front loaded and uh, are going to uh, fade away. I won't say totally fade away, but, but are going to 
have lesser impact over time. And since consumption is still nearly 70% of gross domestic product, that means that we're going to uh, find the consumer taking uh, it, uh, the foot off the accelerator for, for the economy. So I'm expecting that the second and third quarter of 2018 will mark a peak for, uh, for the economy. And within 18 to 24 months, we're going to see whether that uh, slowdown uh, turns into an actual contraction. And I think that it will. Mm, I see. So the bull market and the stock market um, have sort of reflected in a bull market in commercial real estate, right? Yeah, although they're not always in sync with one another. Right, right. Uh, you know, this time what's been uh, uh, good on Main Street has been good on Wall Street as well. Yeah. Well, what about uh, the impact of the trade concerns? And when you look at the economy and commercial real estate there? It varies across the country. Uh, but clearly, most economists, myself included, uh, believe that glo global trade uh, is important for the health of the U.S. economy and also for the health of our trading partners. And so uh, I worry when we have a regime of tariffs coming into, uh, into play to try to uh, nudge, uh, uh, nudge trade uh, in some protectionist way. I don't think that that is a policy that uh, will stand the test of time. So you think that the, uh, there won't be tariffs then at the end of the, end of the day or less than, than maybe are being tossed around? It's not an economic question. It's a political question. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, right now, uh, uh, the levers of politics are in the hands of, uh, of the White House. Mm -hmm. uh, and within the White House, in the hands of several people who are who are protectionist in in, uh, in nature, those who are trying to deal with jobs in the coal industry, for example, uh, uh, those that uh, are looking to restrict our involvement uh, and where globalization and global engagement uh, is considered to be a bad word. And so uh, I am concerned about that. And I think, again, most economists fall into this, uh, uh, into this point of view, like, and for good reason. Right. And I like how uh, well chosen your words are. <laughs> very, very well done there. And, you know, I think uh, there's, there's a lot of opinion either way on, on that side of the we're not a political show. Um, let's, let's go to retail. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the demise of retail about the growth of online sales and the, uh, the sticks and bricks uh, having a tough time. What do you say? You know, I think uh, that retail has been bashed somewhat excessively. And what I'm seeing in the investment community is people looking for the opportunity to uh, uh, find retail investments where uh, they can acquire assets uh, and rarely in this uh, in this uh, economic era, where you can acquire assets for actually less than their replacement cost. Historically, that's been an excellent strategy, uh, and I've heard uh, from investors that say, "Listen, we can now buy retail centers uh, at a seven cap that 
uh, two years ago would have had a uh, sub six capitalization rate. And we think that we can make money buying them at a seven cap. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I think uh, retail has a lot of opportunity. And, you know, we sell shopping centers around the southeast. And when you put them on the market, you know, even though some of the sellers feel like, hey, this is the time to move them. There are a lot of buyers that, uh, that come out of the woodwork and compete for them. So I think, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure and, and there's opportunities there. And we were talking before the show and, and one of those opportunities is to change changing use on some of these uh, retail properties, right? Yeah. What, and that's change of use in two senses. You know, one uh, uh, is a drill down into what uh, the consumers do. Uh, it's true that 70% of GDP is personal consumption expenditures, but about two thirds of personal consumption expenditures are in the realm of services rather than in the realm of goods. So within the shopping center, you see changing tenancy from you know apparel and furniture and some of the other traditional goods sold not only in malls, but in, in power centers and, and other outlets uh, to more service oriented uses medical services, uh, food, entertainment, uh, uh, you know, wellness uh, 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 concerns that uh, are expanding at the very time that the, uh, that the retail chain stores that have been the mainstay of, uh, of those centers are, uh, are contracting and in closing modes. But then the second uh, uh, shift is that we have enough retail space in the country at 25 uh, square feet per capita uh, to say that that's a multiple of capacity in any other country in the world. Uh, we have just gotten so enthusiastic about retail that we built too much of it. And yet these centers are typically pretty well located. Uh, they've got good transportation access. They tend to be targeted to where there are decent incomes. Uh, they have, uh, you know, a, uh, 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 buildings that have been built to a high standard because of the needs of the retail tenants. And so many of these buildings uh, and these sites can be repurposed to other uses. And that's particularly important in, a, uh, in an era where mixed use development, where the live, work, play, 24-hour city environment that you and I have talked about in the past uh, come into play. So uh, I would uh, suspect that we're going to see the redevelopment of a lot of B and C shopping center sites uh, to uh, more uh, interesting and more uh, complex uses. Yeah, uh, very good point. I think a lot of retail properties are, are real good real estate. You're right. They're, they're real, well located. So before I let you go, I want to get your idea on some of the opportunities there might be out there, whether it's a sector or, or certain uh, uh, development or acquisition strategy. Um, but before we get there, what are some headwinds? What are some challenges that uh, people may want to uh, look out for? Okay, so where, where, are, the, where are the risks in, in uh, both the economy and in, and in the industry? Yeah. If I've got your question yes, sir. Uh, uh, as you intended it. So uh, certainly there are a bunch of them. Uh, uh, you know, we're using uh, technology here. There is some uh, question as to whether uh, the application of technology 
is going to bring some risks uh, into the real estate sector. A lot of that uh, discussion has been couched in, will there be job disruption? Will there be job destruction uh, from the application of technology? But I'm not that worried about that, to tell you the truth. Uh, I think that uh, just as you and I are not computer people, but we use computers all of the time in our work, uh, that will be true of the newer technologies, uh, either prop tech or fintech, uh, that is say property technology or financial technology uh, in, uh, the, uh, in the real estate industry. We'll be, we'll be using that to, uh, uh, to advantage. The threat that I see is as we become more technologically interconnected, uh, that uh, cybersecurity becomes a really, really critical liability to the industry. Uh, and it's one that we're not totally on top of uh, as uh, uh, hacking, not only in the electoral realm, but also in the commercial realm uh, and in utilities has become uh, more and more apparent as something that not only can be done by bad actors, but is being done by bad actors. And I think real estate will have some liabilities on that, uh, that front. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that is a, one of the scary challenges out there too. There's so much uh, fraud and scams and, and uh, you know, just this terrible things going on out there to, to all people across America. And in commercial real estate, we uh, uh, certainly have a lot of information in our systems. Well, where are some opportunities right now? Yeah, so I think, I think uh, it's time for contrarians. You know, it's, it's time for people to look away from uh, the safest of, uh, of investments to begin to look to where there are niche opportunities uh, that have longstanding uh, viability. And so if technology is something I'm concerned about, it's also something that I think uh, creates uh, opportunities uh, for us. So cities and property types that have strong technological applications uh, from Silicon Valley to Boston to the venture capital in, in uh, New York City that's enabled Google to, to again spend a couple of billion dollars to, to, to buy a, 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 an existing building next door to its New York uh, operation. So it now has four billion, uh, I'm sorry, four million square feet of, of space in the Chelsea area. I think those are opportunities because people want to do business with the technology companies uh, and they uh, create a feeder network of, of, uh, of smaller firms that support those uh, industries. Uh, one of the elements of federal budget, uh, and I think we've talked about this in the past, Michael, uh, that uh, is unevenly distributed, uh, is that with much higher defense spending, uh, in place and provisioning that those cities that uh, have strong either defense contracting or in proximity to uh, large military bases are places, uh, for, for instance, where multifamily uh, uh, assets uh, can, uh, uh, can be uh, uh, well, well appreciated. Garden apartments uh, particularly. And I think last, lastly, uh, even though uh, suburban growth 
is again picking up and the bashing of the suburbs has seemed to run its course. Uh, I think that uh, in a period in which you're going to see uh, perhaps more selective investment on the part of cross-border investors and institutional investors, that uh, uh, cities that have the 24-hour live-work-play characteristic are going to be uh, desirable. First, because they provide better liquidity in down, uh, down cycles, but more importantly, because over the ups and downs of cycle, they produce superior risk-adjusted returns. Yeah. Yep. Well, great opportunities. Um, and uh, I like your, your risk there, uh, technology, but also one of the opportunities there. Hugh Kelly, great information as usual. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for having me, Michael. And uh, thank you for joining us. Now, stay with us. We're going to have more on the show on uh, PhDs on CRE. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by RealCrowd.com. Check them out for crowdfunding for commercial real estate. Our show today is called PhDs on CRE. We're getting some expert analyst and economist views on where we are in the commercial real estate world today. Please welcome my guest. It's Victor Kalinog. He is a PhD. He received his PhD from the Wharton School in Pennsylvania, and he is the chief economist and senior VP of research with Reese. And you've heard Reese on our show before, very respected analyst and economist in and company that tracks commercial real estate. And Victor's joining us on the phone. Victor, thank you for being with us. Michael, thanks for having me on the show. Well, Victor, first of all, uh, should should people do people need PhDs to be in commercial real estate? This, that's impressive. Uh, <laughs> certainly not. I do think uh, the PhD is a bit of an overkill degree to do really smart things in commercial real estate. But what's interesting about the industry right now is despite the fact like an organization like Reese, which is one of the really first research organizations on a national scale that tried to collect information and analytics uh, nationwide, really, though we've been around for a good 37, 38 years, the use of data and sophisticated analytics in commercial real estate is still relatively new. We're still applying tools that maybe the financial world and other asset types have really matured into over the last 20 years, and we're still kind of exploring how that's properly applied to our lovely, lumpy, indivisible asset class. So if you do want a bunch of quantitative analysts who can dig into a rich data set with history and come up with interesting explanations for causality, then maybe you need a PhD, but probably not if you need to close a few deals and be really smart with your clients. <laughs> All right. Well, great advice. And uh, 
So, Victor, where as you look at the market, you guys are studying it every day. Um, you're an economist. You look at commercial real estate in, in particular. I think everybody's a little concerned about rising interest rates and a robust economy uh, and really a very long cycle uh, that we've been in of good times. So where are we in the cycle? How long might these good times last? Well, first of all, I'm not going to use a baseball analogy because <laughs> that's kind of tired and old by now, mm -hmm. right? Uh, when it comes to cycles, there are no hard and fast rules about how long or how short it should last. I would warn you about taking a look at some variables that tend to precede recessions. Uh, the best I've heard in terms of recent analysis would be someone tried to say that once you hit the natural rate of unemployment, which is 5%, uh, a recession usually follows in two years or so. Uh, that's kind of impractical and useless advice, right? Because what would you do? You Would you like to re keep unemployment high to avoid running into a recession, that's not really useful on a day-to-day -day basis. What uh, we try to look at would be, okay, which sector of the economy is overheating in the sense where valuations are outstripping income growth in an unreasonable and unsustainable way? Uh, are there geopolitical or idiosyncratic factors out there that really might serve as a punch to the face? Uh, you know, things like maybe an intercontinental ballistic missile hitting Hawaii, which almost happened a few months ago, right? Mm -hmm. That things that will throw your standard economic forecasts off kilter. And if those warning signs begin to happen, then I think I'll start getting worried. But right now, we're doing okay. I think the Fed's really trying to balance this interest rate increase. Uh, inflation is kind of creeping back into the mix as we try to goose up economic growth through fiscal policy. I'm not in general agreement with using fiscal policy now, given that we are at full employment. Uh, that's basically inflationary. So uh, with that said, I do think we have at least a year or so ahead of us before we start running into any cyclical trouble, which means maybe the best practical advice from a so-called PhD like myself would be, let's get through this year. Your boss is probably going to raise your quota next year, and let's get through 2019 because even the best crystal ball gazers out there aren't saying that the recession's around the corner. They're kind of saying 2020 thereabouts. Okay. And you mentioned one of the indicators that you might want to consider as the end of a cycle could be overvalued real estate, if I heard you right. So yep. are, are there any uh, types of properties or sizes that you think you know, might be perfectly priced or getting close to overvalued when you consider that interest rates are on the rise? Yeah, I'm going to sound like a very typical economist here, but I always want to take a look at the standard market fundamentals like supply and demand when it comes to answering that question. For example, when it comes to valuation, cap rates have been low for at least five to seven years, right? Partly because we've lived in a low interest rate environment. And so when you've got the 10-year treasury at sub 2% as your risk-free benchmark, then a cap rate of 4 or 5% doesn't sound too crazy because of the spread, right? So... You know, the Fed has been out there basically saying, beware of overvaluation in commercial real estate, taking a look at these low cap rates, but people don't 
kind of missed that other side of the equation where interest rates were also low. Now that things are kind of rising, I do think that when you take a look at the, say, 10-year Treasury, when we get to the 3540 range, then I think that's when things will start getting interesting in terms of cap rates finally rising after so long. And then I think the shakedown will happen in those markets where really, when you take a look at valuations dropping even slightly, can income sustain, right? In income levels and growth sustain the kind of valuation drops that will knock down your returns. Is that fair? Yes. So you think the valuation drop based on rising rates and the 10-year might be uh, two years out, something like that? It could be a year out, but I'm looking at the number between the 3.5 to 4.0, and we're really just kind of hovering around 3 right now for the 10-year Treasury. And I think if you look at the data, no, you know, I get it. The 10-year Treasury has risen from 2 to around 3% in the past 12 to 18 months. There's been absolutely no systematic rise in cap rates, right? Because the spreads are still fairly wide, historically speaking. Then you'll see a little bit more pressure once your risk-free rate is probably between 3.5 to 4.0. Above 4.0, it's anyone's guess where not to CRE assets, but also equities will end up. Okay. And you also mentioned demand for space and the income uh, increasing on some of these properties. So are yep. we in, you've been doing this for 20 years. So you've seen cycles. So I, I guess this is different from past cycles. Do you feel like we're going to, as the economy is going now, that we're going to have increase in demand? So even an increase in cap rates... Uh, might keep commercial uh, real estate values strong? Sure. I mean, that's that's the point. I think when you take a look at different asset classes within the space, well, you've got multifamily where the most common age in the U.S. is between 25 to 27, year old, 27 years old. Then you've got anywhere from 8 to 10 years of runway for renter demand to really goose up demand for multifamily and rental properties, even though they're kind of struggling with a bit of oversupply this year and early next, right? Mm -hmm. For office, I would have expected a lot more growth than we're seeing it in some central CBD markets, but it's been very slow because technology, just like in retail, is really wreaking its ugly head over there. A lot of employees and employers are still figuring out their optimal use of office space, or should you work remotely because you have VPN now? So I think I think we're in an interesting cycle now where I get it. The economy has been growing for some time. You've got some superstars like multifamily and warehouse distribution for industrial. A little bit more of a slog for, say, office and maybe a slight negative for the retails of this world. So one really has to be picky, not just about the property type, and this is something that you always discuss, but also about the specific neighborhood and location they're investing in. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It comes down to the individual property, the area, the class, the size, and the well, a lot of factors for opportunities in the current market. But if, if you just looked at the various sectors and, and maybe classes, where do you think there might be some opportunities at this point in the cycle? About a year or two ago, you had some fairly large funds exiting multifamily because they felt it was overbuilt and might have run out of steam, right? Uh, I think some funds were placing bets on warehouse distribution, given that what's ailing retail right now is probably helping a lot of warehouse distribution properties along because Amazon, our second trillion dollar company, still needs places to store its goods. 
right? So there are a few of those bets. I want to mention a few specialty sectors as well, where the counselors of real estate and REITs have also uh, taken a look. Uh, it's not just niche sectors anymore. You've got really tight fundamentals for student housing and even affordable housing. I'd probably raise my eyebrow the senior housing of this world just because a lot of our elder generations are, number one, living longer, higher quality lives and are probably not opting to go that route when they're in their twilight years. So uh, those are kind of my bets right now just in terms of uh, my read of where supply and demand is. So on senior housing, what you're saying is you might want to be go there with precaution. I think so. I mean, again, it's going to be a property by property or neighborhood by neighborhood discussion. Uh, I think the Floridas and the warmer states of this world are always going to be a fun destination for that particular customer segment. So maybe look there. There are outperformers in the Northeast, for example, where in the New Yorks of this world, someone can charge up to $20,000 a month for a skilled nursing facility, right? So there are opportunities, but by and large, the vacancy rate for senior housing properties is about double that of multifamily. And you'd think that it's kind of multifamily housing except for an older generation, right? So just the comparative vacancies alone kind of gives you a sense of demand for these respective property types. Yeah. We're talking with Victor Kalinog. He's a PhD because we're doing PhDs on CRE today. And uh, he also is chief economist with Reese. And, and Victor, how do you think that things like tax reform, which seems to have been a great benefit to commercial real estate, but then you also have things like tariffs and trade talks uh, and that impact there. How do you think those two items are impacting or will impact commercial real estate? Well, you know, those tax, those tax cuts in general are a great short-term boost, right? I was slightly surprised and pleased that uh, first and second quarter business spending on capital investments uh, enjoyed a slight bump up because, you know, sometimes you give corporations a tax break and they just buy back their shares, right? Mm -hmm. Here they're actually investing in capital goods and things that will make them productive over the long run. So that was a general plus. I do think that that fiscal policy will result in a banner year this year. Maybe we might top between 2.8 to 3 plus percent GDP growth when our compound annual growth rate average since the recession ended was more in the low two. So that's a plus. Now, in terms of headwinds, trade wars and any kind of geopolitical uncertainty where we're just not creating the kind of stable business climate where people can invest in the long term, those are generally headwinds. I don't think I want to sound the alarm just yet. There are some folks who are trying to link trade wars into declines in office rents. I think it's too early for that. But in general, as an economist and as a researcher, any kind of hindrance to business and trade is a net negative. So I, I do hope we get over that hump fairly soon. Okay. Well, Victor, how would you leave, what would you leave our audience with in respect to thinking about commercial real estate moving forward? Sorry, what was the question again? What would you leave our audience with around the country uh, related to commercial real estate moving forward? What should they be concerned about or think about as far as opportunities or headwinds or, or just general thinking about interest rates and cap rates? I, I think there's still a lot of opportunities to be had over the coming year or so. I would say that there's a lot of information out there about supposedly new information and new technologies that will impact the space. I would say let's stick to our knitting and the fundamentals. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't look at the numbers. But I'd also be pretty skeptical about all the Cassandras out there saying 
that, oh, this is what's going to happen just around the bend. Basically, what I'm saying is I'm kind of selling my profession out here. Joan Robinson was supposed to have said before, I studied economics not so that I could speak the language of economists, but so that I need not be deceived by them, right? <laughs> Let's just have a healthy skepticism for all this, and maybe my PhD was finally useful just because I do have like a skeptical attitude to stuff, and I think it served me well so far. It certainly has. Great information, Victor. Always great to talk to you. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much, Michael. Talk to you soon. All right. And thank you for joining us around the world or around the country. Let us know what you think. Thank you for connecting with us on um, Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for your comments. And thanks for being with us. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking for proven property management and facilities management education? Visit BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I, Building Owners and Managers Institute International. They are the trusted source for education in the property and facilities industry. Visit BOMI.org. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, CREshow.com.